Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah, release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Greetings, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today, I'm so excited. I get to welcome back Dr. Stan Tack into the show. He's an expert in couples therapy, as well as secure functioning relationships, and he's also the founder of the PACT Institute. Now, the PACT Institute stands for Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy. It is a fusion of your and I's favorite things, attachment theory, developmental neuroscience, and arousal regulation, and it was developed by Dr. Tackin. Now, PACT has a reputation for treating the most challenging couples. Look, there's not a lot of interventions that can say that. And that's why I love talking to Dr. Tackin. Now, the last time we heard from him, we talked about how to create a lasting, healthy relationship. I wanted to have him back on to talk about how relationships change after having a baby. And he covers this in great detail in his book called Baby Bomb, a relationship survival guide for new parents. Now, as a new parent, this topic is obviously very fresh for me. And I've been experiencing all the things about becoming a parent that we hear about, but you don't really fully understand until you're in it. Now, here's the thing. Whether you're a parent or not, you're going to learn a lot from this episode because as you can already guess, it always comes back to us. Ah, this episode is filled with brilliant wisdom, and I can't wait, so let's dive right in. Dr. Stan Tacken, it is such an honor to be able to sit with you in person. In person with right. you, Mark. I feel like uh, maybe like one of the people in your therapy chair. Uh, I don't use that chair. Okay, well, different. this, <laughs> this is the podcasting chair now. <laughs> right. This is your second time on the podcast. Yes. The first time we chatted about what helps couples be successful. And I uh, recently read your book, Baby Bomb. And since Kylie and I have recently had a child, Jasper, he's seven months old, the title of that book captivated me because I thought, I kind of feel like our relationship has been hit 
by a bomb. And what I love is your co-author, Kara Hoppy. She talks about how it's not just bomb in terms of the conversation of like devastating to the relationship, but the multiple means like the bomb. Yes. And I love that because I thought so much of our relationship is being invited to go to a deeper level. I thought I had my poop in a group, Stan. I thought I had communication uh-huh. <laughs> like nailed for the most part. And then the universe delivered me Jasper, who now has mm. taught me that my communication ain't so good sometimes. In reading the book, you guys talk about some research in there that it really hit me. Some was the Gottman's research that 67% of couples, when they have a baby, they can, their relationship satisfaction plummets. And another one was a study from, I believe, 1957 mm-hmm. that looked at 83% of couples were in crisis. Yes. So what do you see as the main reasons couples so often struggle to maintain a healthy relationship after having a baby? Yeah, th- there isn't anything out there that has prepared couples to remain couples because yeah. it is a couple's uh, project, having a child, right, or children. And so that's a reason for baby bomb or anything that prepares uh, parents for what is to come. That's one. The other is that partners don't have a really solid structure, really solid idea of themselves before they have children. And yet another issue is going from twos to threes, right? There is a third person, in this case, the baby. And that third tends to rock the primary system. Mm -hmm. Uh, One person loses their exclusivity with the partner, the primary, and that can lead to jealousy, can lead to uh, feeling left out, uh, unimportant, demoted. And so that's the other thing that we try to prepare people for, is that now you are working together with this third, who is both of your child, but one of you is going to be more preoccupied for a while. So what does the shift from two to three actually look like, especially if it's done well? If it's done well, uh, partners are signaling to each other that they still remain as primaries, Mm. right? They're still primaries. And that solves the mismanagement of thirds problem. Mismanagement of thirds is where one partner uh, has a particular relationship with a thing, an activity, a person to the exclusion of the other. That breeds jealousy. Uh, So I've got to understand that and my partner has to understand that and mitigate it. In other words, make sure that we're in good order and that I'm not being replaced and that I have a seat at this table as co-parent, right? So that's already thought about ahead of time. The agreements are there. And then, of course, permission to enforce those agreements that will ensure you and I stay a couple. What does that positive signaling look like for a couple? It could be I love you. You're my person. Um, we Look what we did. Um, you're such a good parent. Um, I can't wait to be with you tonight. Um, right? This is ours. Um, or it can also be um, the non-primary parent understanding what it feels like to be the primary. Mm-hmm. I bet you don't feel like being touched right now. You're being touched by everybody, pushed and pulled. Let's say we do something and you can just be there. We won't have to do anything. We don't have to touch, right? You're 
It's called overtouch. I bet but this must be feeling all sorts of ways postpartum. I understand it. I've, I've been reading on it. <laughs> and so I'm able to take care of you while you're taking care of baby, right? Because we all need you to be okay. So we're doing things that include each other, that suggest that this is our creation. And our creation came out of our creation of what this union we have with this alliance we have means and why we are doing it. We're not just doing it because we love each other, because love comes and goes. We're doing it for a higher purpose. Maybe it is we have each other's backs at all times. Mm -hmm. We are survivalists. We're going to survive. We're going to thrive together. We're going to do things where it's us against the world. We're going to please each other, blah, 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 whatever it is, right? But we have we have a sense of purpose and a sense of vision of where we're going. It's not just for baby, because baby and, and children in general are just passing through. They're going to be gone. Uh, it's still us. So mm -hmm. anything that just protects that primary attachment system between the lovers has to be an experience that both partners are responsible for so they don't drop each other. They don't drop each other. And this will solve all of those problems um, uh, and more that are coming that involve thirds, by the way. Yeah, because with Kylie and I, I was cognizant of this shift that we would go from a two to three. I was not necessarily, I knew emotions would come. I wasn't necessarily prepared or understood how to hold them yet. Yes. But I would bring it forward into our relationship. Like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling kind of like I'm this third person over here. But when I read Baby Bomb, it made me so much more uh, intentional about these conversations and bringing forward that we're a team. Yes. And I'm, we're talking about what makes these couples successful. Like, how do you maintain the two with the three? What happens if it doesn't go well? What does that look like? Here's the thing. If partners do not predict, plan, and prepare for what could possibly go wrong, then they walk into a situation where they are unprepared, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to protect themselves mm -hmm. from each other. Um, this is human nature, right? So unless they are prepared and they set up already the parameters of what we're going to do if then, right? And how are we going to govern each other by permission, right? Do I have permission to stop you if you do this? Yes, you do. Okay, great. Do I have permission to push you if you don't do this? Yes, you do. Okay, that's how we would govern. But let's say the average couple who does not have this, right, did mm -hmm. not think about it. They're going to, with this third, make a ton of errors in communication, with memory, with perception, and they are going to, if under stress, uh, going to use pattern recognition to determine whether the other is a threat to them. This is not a very fancy thing. This is what we all do. Uh, we don't have uh, that much energy to constantly think critically. Mm -hmm. So we use cheap memory pattern recognition. It looks like you're uh, getting in my way, therefore you are. It looks like you don't understand me, therefore you don't. It looks like you just, or seems like you just said something unkind to me, criticizing me, therefore you did. And, uh, and that starts a war. 
right? It starts light, but because threat is accumulative, if it's not repaired, if you and I don't say, you know, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. If we don't do that on a regular basis, then we start to accrue memory that we deem as threatening. And that becomes to, that starts to accumulate and snowball. Uh, to the point where we have a biological problem where we are no longer allies, you and I. We're mm -hmm. adversaries. We're adversaries, and we stop talking. We stop sleeping together. We stop uh, uh, interacting. We don't do good things that couples should do. Um, we stick to our lanes. We start to go off into different directions. Um, th these are the problems that we're trying to avoid that can start seemingly benignly, but if not uh, not dealt with quickly, this snowballs, and it's a cascade actually towards dissolution. So for our listeners, I mean, maybe some of them are like, we nailed two to three, we crushed it. Cool. And others might be like, oh, damn, we didn't do so good on that. In the book, you talk about practices that couples can do in order to find success and create a good connection maybe once again. Yes. And you referred to co-regulating practices. So maybe could, could you speak to what that might look like, improving communication? Sure. So when I say co-regulation, I'm talking about states. These are states of mind and body, and they govern us, right? Our state of mind triggers memory memory triggers state of mind, mm. and state of mind alters perception like a funhouse mirror. This is how we're dealing with each other all the time on this slippery ground. Think of it as we're on a tight wire, you and I. Mm -hmm. And on that tight wire, we have to watch each other like hawks because we're looking for signs that the other person is starting to lose confidence or it's starting to wobble a little bit. Uh, we have to do something to keep ourselves straight. Otherwise, we both fall. That's this. That's the game. So you and I have to be really good at managing each other's state. Now, unfortunately, we come from a culture that is wrong about this. You should regulate yourself, take care of yourself, go to therapy, uh, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, right? Uh, and that is actually false in terms of how we are wired as human primates. Mm -hmm. It is much more efficient for me to regulate you and you to regulate me in real time than it is for me to think about what I am feeling at the moment. So you and I are talking about something difficult and one of us is under stress, that's really when we slow things down, keep eyes on each other, and make sure we're both okay at every point or game over, we walk away with nothing. So co-regulation is basically done autonomically unless and until one of us is under stress, and then we start to revert to a one-person system of I, me, mine, and you, 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 mm -hmm. where we're adversarial. Everyone will do this. Everyone. There are no exceptions. This is a human problem. We see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's a real primal experience uh, that we have with our survival instinct. It doesn't know. Um, it doesn't care about who is threatening us, what is threatening us. Uh, I shoot first, ask questions later. And so co-regulation is the ability for us to be masters at each other. If you start to get upset, I know how to calm you. If you get depressed, I know how to raise you up. If you start to get anxious, I know how to soothe you. You know how to do that with me. 
I know you. I know the animal I chose. I know how to talk to you, how to uh, start a conversation, how to uh, get you to land on your feet. I know how to work you without using a stick or a whip. Mm. That's competence. That's competence. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. My workload can be pretty substantial, and I'm often switching from one task to the next or getting on a plane, getting off one, hotels, packing, moving, all ways going. Not only when I get home, but also during the holidays, I really prioritize focusing on my family. I take time off, I turn off my devices, I delete apps from my phone that I know consume a lot of energy. It's really because the gift of presence over giving presence really goes a long way. And even though being with family and around my family is the biggest part of the holidays for me, I also know that I need to prioritize myself. I know that I need to regulate my nervous system as I come down from a really busy season of work and then into my home. And for those of you who might be visiting family, being able to regulate yourself as you're around the unpredictability that the holidays can bring. A great way to not only learn how to regulate your nervous system, but to actually get you into regulation is to do a therapy session. Getting support by talking to a therapist has always been super helpful for me, especially in helping me reflect on circumstances and situations in my life, being able to navigate things from a more common present place so that when I'm with my family, I'm with my family. Therapy has always been a gift for myself because it helps me be better. It helps me grow and change. Now, if therapy sounds like something you could use to help you regulate and calm as well, give BetterHelp a try. It's really easy to sign up online because you can make it fit in with your schedule. Just fill out a fast questionnaire to be matched with a licensed therapist. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Groves to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Groves. So we know how, I mean, this modern world, there's obviously a lot of distractions, a lot of things. Oh my God. I'm curious, what is the impact on a couple with all the things that we have in the world that, that weren't around 100 years ago, 30 years ago? Well, one thing, I think we've become more ADHD, right? We're distracted. There's a time factor of how much time we spend with each other in general. Partners that spend more time with each other are more likely to influence each other than partners who are beginning to drift or are siloed. And mm -hmm. phones and devices, technology is constantly serving that up to us, right? Mm -hmm. And attention is a big issue, right? Being able to hang out with somebody without doing anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get bored right away. We get the niche. We got to be doing something. Um, they don't know how to be boyfriend and girlfriend or girlfriend and girlfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend. So we want them to remain uh, in courtship with each other in whatever way that means to them. Otherwise, they will begin to drift eventually, and that won't work for the baby. It won't work for the children, and that certainly won't work for them. But then also, um, modern times, we don't have the same assisting. We don't have uh, someone to help us at night. One of the main problems is not, you know, parents getting no sleep because there's nobody to help at nighttime so they can get some sleep. The average couple is isolated. Um, many times isolated from their families of origin. Uh, they're too far away, or maybe they're not in speaking terms. Uh, there isn't a network of other uh, uh, families to, uh, to be together so that it keeps the parents' company and they have adults to talk to. Uh, we're 
more and more isolated and uh, and at a, a time when it's really needed, that support, emotional support, uh, resourcing for the mother and the father, it's least available to us. And so that's yet another another problem facing our culture. In the book, you talk about this concept of fighting for two winners. Yes. I loved it. As soon as I read it, I was like, make that the intention of every dialogue, every conflict, that we are a team and we come back together. So what does fighting for two winners sound like? And what is it in practice? It means that neither of us can lose. Otherwise, we both lose. And what is that based on? If we were a three-legged race, which I believe couples are, uh, our inner legs are tied. We would learn rapidly that we're independent autonomous adults with free will but we're tied together mm-hmm. so uh we have to move together or we don't move we have to be cooperative and collaborative or we get nothing done so it's based on the idea of interdependence you and i have the same things to gain and the same things to lose therefore there's nothing i can do to you that won't come back to me mm-hmm. in the same form right? I cannot afford for you to lose and for me to win because that causes definite downstream bad effects for me, selfishly. So it's the idea of win-win because we're moving together as two separate individuals, two people who are different, two annoying, pain in the asses, (laughs) burdens, disappointing human primates. But we know how to work together and we know how to make sure it's good for me and good for you or the factory stops. Uh, we stop doing anything, we go, we basically start to go to war. And it's stupid to have a, a war in your own foxhole, right? right? So we can't afford to do that. Therefore, I have to think of you and consider you at the same time I'm considering myself or you'll confuse me as an adversary. That's how this works. When generals fight, soldiers die. Um, When parents fight, children suffer. And so this is about working together to find the best way in this moment, even if it's temporary, for now, right? That's the spirit of this. Um, They're both generals, and they have to treat each other as such, not talk down to each other, so they have to find another way to lead than the way they've been doing. Fighting for two winners sounds really great in theory. Uh I'm curious if parents have different opinions on parenting styles, different opinions on just what, how a kid should be managed when they do something quote unquote wrong. Of course. How does, how do you fight for two winners when there's that level of, of disagreement? Okay. That is a fact. There's going to be two different parenting styles. That's a feature, not a bug right? We know that uh, children do better with two different parents, maybe three or four different parents. It's even better because that's, that is more learning for the child in terms of different styles, different people, different ways of talking, different ways of doing everything, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you and I picked each other, Right? We picked each other based on recognition and, and familiarity. Before having a child, we should have uh, co-created our culture, our relationship ethics, what we're going to do, what we're never going to do. So say us both, right? We already have an idea of our beliefs and how we're going to deal with each other. That's one. Mm-hmm. Two, I would ask parents, let's start here. 
Do you both have the same purpose as parents? Let's say the purpose is to be the best parent you can be. Do you both agree? Uniformly, so far, no one said no. Uh, <laughs> yes, we both want to be the best parents we can be. Good. You agree. Now, let's talk about vision for your children, right? This is about what you want the endpoint to be. Do you both want your children to be happy and healthy? They're both going to say yes. Do you want your children to be good citizens in the world? They're going to say yes. Do you want your children to be resilient and not give up easily? Yes. Do you want your children to respect others and respect their things and to be organized and tidy? Yes. So far, the two of you agree on everything. The only thing you're not going to agree on is how to accomplish these things. Mm. That's not a problem because neither of you are experts. There is no expert here. There is no book that can say how to parent this particular child, right? All children are different. It's an improv. It is the two of you being able to work together as a team, always and forever trying to find the best thing we could do at this pivot point and then come back and see how well it was and whether we achieved it and then redesign. That's what parenting is. It's a constant moving target. Depends on the two of you being collaborative and cooperative. That means you've got to work together as two different people. You're both going to try to get to the same place differently, and that's not a bad thing. It's not. You do not protect your children from each other. Mm. That's the start of a, a horrible marriage, and, uh, and your kids are going to hate you for it. Stan, do you think that we tend to parent our children unconsciously the way we were parented? Like just uh, repeating what is familiar, even though we have this opportunity to create a customized parenting machine? Yes, absolutely. Nature repeats itself. It's not only parenting that we repeat. We repeat everything. We're, <laughs> we are made up of memory. We are behaving according to memory most of the time. That's what most of us do because we're lazy. We're energy conserved. <laughs> Thinking critically takes up too much energy. It's energy expending which is why we never look at ourselves. We don't have time or care, right? The only time we do is when we're suffering. I'd rather you learn this without having to suffer. Yeah. That this is your creation. It's unique and it's constantly being modified by the two of you according to what you both want, period. Your families are no longer uh, the issue here. They're deposed. You two, you two, are the leaders, are the creators, are the big bosses. You're in charge of this thing. Um, and you're supposed to create it yourselves as something entirely different, not your parents. So yes, we are going to repeat ourselves. That's natural. It's not personal. It's not good, bad, right, or wrong. But it is something yeah. that we can work against to a degree. To right. a degree, yeah. I'm really excited to share with you one of my new favorite brands, which is called SafeSleeve. I discovered them because I was looking for a phone case that would prevent radiation, because of course I use my phone for work, and my phone sits in my pocket right next to all the, you know, important bits. And I couldn't be happier with this product. I absolutely love it. And recently, 
France actually banned the iPhone 12 for excessive radiation levels. So this is the perfect time for me to share this with you and for you to go check them out. Safe Sleeve makes anti-radiation products designed to give you peace of mind so that you can know that you and your devices are protected. And all of their anti-radiation products incorporate lab-tested shielding technology that can block over 99% of radiofrequency radiation and 92% of electromagnetic field radiation. There are very few anti-radiation brands that offer lab-tested protection and make it publicly available on their website. And only a couple of them block ELF the electromagnetic field radiation, which is much harder to block, but equally as important. And as a bonus, their phone cases provide military-grade drop protection, which is also tested for. So if you're like me and you want to protect your cells from getting fried by RF, check out Safe Sleeves phone cases, anti-radiation headphones, RF-blocking blanket, and more awesome products that keep you safe. Go to safesleevecases.com and use the code GROVES10 for 10% off at checkout. So I just want to pivot because this subject I know is a hot one that comes up for all new parents, but not even just new parents. Oh God, it's got to be sex. It's exactly, it's sex. That is the subject I want to confront. And other than things like healing that Mm -hmm. is required for the mother, there's also the absence of time, like time alone that you can spend and have that intimacy. What are some reasons that sex declines and what are some ways that we can rekindle it? So- Sex declines throughout the lifespan for a lot of different reasons. Most of them are biological. Some of them are psychobiological. After the birth of a child, there is a a need for the non-caring partner, the the one who didn't carry, to really understand what that would feel like and how long it takes for that to heal because the body may have been invaded if it's a C-section. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen psychologically as well. Then there are hormones, postpartum, uh, depression, anxiety. There is also the hyper-focus on the baby. I've fallen in love with my baby, right? Which is a necessary condition. Uh, And then there is overtouch. Uh, you know, I'm breastfeeding, uh, I'm being pulled at, I'm tired of being pulled at, I don't want to be pulled at, uh, leave me alone. Then there is usually, if it's a male who's the other partner, classically insensitive to all of these things and will not spend time imagining what it might be like to be in their partner's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear this quite a bit, and they also, part of thirds, if they're feeling threatened, suddenly they want a lot of sex. You know, maybe it's to consolidate their place with their female partner. Who knows? Here's another thing that women talk about. I hate my body post-pregnancy. Um, I don't like my boobs. I don't like my butt. I don't like my stomach. I don't like my thighs. There is a hit to one's self-esteem based on appearance. And I think all women would probably uh, hit that and have that feeling. Some who are more vain, perhaps, uh, care more about youth and beauty. This could be really devastating for them. And I don't feel attracted or attractive. I don't want to do that. But much of the time, it's reacting to an expectation at a demand by the other partner who is insensitive, ill-timed, and wants something for themselves. It a message received by the female partner, this is for you, not for me. Mm. Uh, I think you can F off. 
Um, <laughs> so there are all these things going on um, at the same time, or none of them, but still the, that person's libido uh, is, is not really there. What are some ways that we can rekindle that intimacy and bring sex back into our lives? Well, as far as rekindling intimacy, first, partners have to understand what intimacy is. And we exist in a culture that really is kind of messed up with all these messages about sex. The real truth is that sex changes over time no matter what because we're, we're moving through time, we're changing constantly, to expect that sex should be as it was prior to the birth of a child or when we first met is not only naive, it's impossible. So we make love, we're intimate for the time we are in, period. We don't try to reach back and replicate something because that ship sailed. Therefore, intimacy is for the moment. It includes presence and attention. Presence and attention. Not automation, not expectation, not demand, and it certainly shouldn't be performative because that, uh, that kills the intimacy. Intimacy lovemaking can be having intercourse, but not necessarily could be having oral sex, but not necessarily. It could be pillow talk. It could be the thing we used to do when we went out on sleepovers or uh, camping out. We could talk all night about what we don't know about each other. That's kind of fun. We could explore each other's bodies and look for, like most primates do, anything wrong. <laughs> um, we could gaze into each other's eyes. Uh, and ask each other questions. There is a ton of things we can do, but all of it, all of it is predicated on, on presence and attention, presence and attention. And then like child rearing, it's improv. Most people don't do that. Most people don't improvise. Most people want to do what's in their head uh, or want to repeat what they've done before. And that leads to boredom, and sometimes it leads to the other person feeling like an object, like you're not really seeing me. You're playing something out in your head. So again, this is about growing up. This is about accepting uh, and grieving losses. From the minute we're born, we're constantly losing things. We're gaining things, but we're losing things, and we are supposed to grieve those losses, not tantrum that they uh, shouldn't be gone. They, we should still have it. And that keeps us from moving forward. That keeps us from being where we are. Well, I'm sure for people listening, that is good news, that they can get intimacy back. And not just back, but perhaps deeper than they've had, ever had it, that they get to know each other as a couple so much better. Because for Kylie and I, and for my experience, is that having Jasper has one, show me where I actually wasn't as clean in my communication as I could be, and where there was still little tender pieces of me coming up, feeling left out, that kind of stuff. And in reading your book, immediately that day when I was finishing it, I was bringing forward a lot of the stuff I was reading to Kylie and what I was learning and what I missed about us and and really coming back as a team. Like there was a couple moments in the book where I got emotional and I like shed a tear 
in the way that um, conflict was handled that I was like, I'm getting emotional now, that I just felt like, oh, this is reminding me of how important this work is yes. and how beautiful an opportunity it is for Kylie and I to become even better. And it was easy to forget about being a team when we were overwhelmed and yeah. there was so much going on. But now I feel like through this book, through conversations with you, I feel like there's a way through this, that there's like not just a way through, but we're gonna be better than we ever have. Yes. And I think what I love, I don't what I love so much about your work and the way that you orient to relationship is that everything is an opportunity to be a better couple. And so much of the work we haven't done prior to the child, because it might be the first time we're like, agreements, what? And so thank you so much for the way that you look at love and relationship and couples, because you have and continue to give us tools to actually build a solid us and also through an us, create really amazing kids and humans and adults. I adore you, Mark. I really do. You're a good person, and uh, I love what you do as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. And I'm so grateful to have you back on. We're already, I'm, we were already scheming a third time uh, before we hit record, so I'm excited to have you back on again. For people listening, where can they find more about the PAC Institute, as well as I know you have retreats mm -hmm. that couples can go on, and also where your books? Go to the pactinstitute.com that's the p a c t institute.com if you are in mental health and you want to be trained uh, we do training all over the world and if you are a couple or both uh, we do couple retreats or uh, actually couple workshops constantly online both Tracy and I and we have one coming up a uh, sort of a five-star retreat coming up next year in Porto, Portugal. And that is always amazing, always amazing. So you can find all that information there. Perfect. And your books, anywhere books? Books anywhere. And I would direct people to the latest book, In Each Other's Care, because I think heretofore that is the clearest I think I've become with regard to how to fight well and how to structure your relationship properly. Beautiful. Thanks again, Stan. Really appreciate having you. And thank you, Mark. So that conversation with Dr. Stan Tekken was really profound for me. It was very impactful. I think when I'm in the weeds of the conflict or the exhaustion or whatever it might be, you know, it's easy to be like, oh man, we're like not doing great right now for communication. Or man, I'm really struggling with this. Like I know it's me, <laughs> you know? Uh, and certainly there's an aspect that uh, is the other person. But I would say that more recently it's been more me. And I sit with the sort of shame that comes up with that and the awareness that comes with that. But what I really learned from reading the book, Baby Bomb, and also the conversation with Dr. Tacken, is that what an opportunity this is to build more alignment, become more of a team. You know, like I, that to me gave me so much hope. And I brought that conversation back to Kylie, the ownership about my own communication, really looking at how can I also 
create more positive interactions. Really making sure that I'm acknowledging and admiring all the things she's going through, all the things she's carrying, all the things she's navigating, and just really offering to be a witness of, because I am, I am in such awe of her as a mother, and I can't imagine what it's like to have a little human that needs something from you all the time, and really the survival of that that human is really directly correlated to you. So to the mothers out there, like, wow. To the single parents, wow. And it really deepened the level of calm I had, the, the, the ability and desire and intention to create more space between stimulus and response before trigger and reaction. And I think at the end of the day, what I really want to emphasize here is the humanness of this, that your communication can always get better. And when you slip up, it's not evidence of your failure, but evidence of an opportunity to excavate a little more, to do a little more work on the context of this. So yeah, I'm excited about what's possible for you in communication. If you're a parent, what's possible for you and how this can help align you as a couple. And I know for me, it has significantly, and I'm really excited about that. So if you know any new parents or you know any people who are struggling with their communication, please share this podcast episode with them. I think it will be incredibly helpful. This episode was produced by John Meek with production assistance from Joanna Vera. I'm Mark Rose. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes because they are coming in hot. Thanks for listening.